Welcome to the second annual Day of Stewardship. This year's Day of Stewardship is brought to you by the Alumni Office and the Campus Stewardship Committee. As you know, last week was Conservation Week, and today is an extension of the CSC's ever-expanding vision to incorporate stewardship and generosity. The first extension of that is a copy of The Overlook, a Day of Stewardship publication from the Alumni Office. You have a copy of this in your mailboxes. Please feel free to read it. So what is the Day of Stewardship about? It is a day to reflect on what we have been given and how we respond. With that, I am pleased to introduce our chapel speaker today. Michael Pepper grew up on Lookout Mountain and then went to Covenant, where he lived on 2nd South. Mm Mm-hmm. He was awarded best roommate ever two years in a row by his roommate, Marshall Teague. <laughs> Class of 2007, he's sitting right there. He played, he played soccer under Coach Milarisi and was a community development major. He also got smoked by his buddy, Tim Mela, in Dr. Crossman's badminton class. After graduating in 2009, he went to work for Giving Wisely in Atlanta, a nonprofit that connects high-capacity givers to relationships, experiences, knowledge, and opportunities. The project expanded into the global generosity movement, where Michael has worked since August of 2011, to fuel a broad-based international movement that results in radical, life-changing generosity among Christians. He has a passion to engage our generation with the message of generosity. We're the Scots. Please welcome one of our own, my friend, Michael Pepper. Thanks, Tim. Half of that was true. Um, In all honesty, Coach Milleracy told me one day after practice that I was the best almost goal scorer he's ever coached. Um, I don't know if if that record has been beaten yet. it's, it's great to be back here. It's an honor to be back here, to be invited. Um, it wasn't that long ago that I, I sat in these seats um, doing my homework, waiting to get to the Great Hall. Um, so if you're doing that, I understand. It's okay. And I'm realizing that we used to sit in that back corner that you can see everything from up here. Um, I'm feeling like I need to apologize to some chapel speakers right now. Um, I was invited to you to talk today on, on this day of stewardship uh, to talk about the transformational, life-changing message of, of biblical generosity and what that means. Um, and if you had seen uh, either on the website or if it had, had been written anywhere, the, the title of my talk was Generosity for Our Generation, uh, not Generosity for Your Generation, uh, because I am one of you. I'm out of college, uh, graduated in 2009. I'm married, have a job now. I'm, I'm not that far removed from being a student. I'm understanding what it means to, to live day-to-day without much um, so please, please don't hear my words today as, as someone who's lost touch, uh, as somebody that doesn't understand maybe where you are right now. My, my posture is, is definitely one of humility, um, but also excitement. Because I, I know I, I don't deserve to, to be up here. I'm no speaker. Um, I haven't written a book. If you look at the list of chapel speakers, I'm one of two, I think, that's not a doctor or a reverend. Um, if it wasn't for Dr. Fickert being generous with my international econ final grade, I'd probably still be here. Um, I'm someone just like you, and, and I think that's why Tim wanted me to speak today, is because I can resonate 
um, and, and understand that this message of generosity, um, if we truly get it, I think our generation is going to change the world and stun the world with our generosity. So I come to you this morning uh, with this, this gospel, this good news of generosity, because I believe that it, it can be and will be a defining mark of our generation. I'm here to tell you that, that generosity is not just a game for the rich. It's not something that, that you wait until you get out of college and you have a job to live. It's not something that you wait until you have a lot of money to then be generous. It's, it's the very essence of who we believe Jesus is and what his ministry was on this earth. And we have the opportunity to live that out joyfully. Um, so I, w- I want to briefly talk about two things with generosity. Uh, the first is why we should give. And the second is how we can give. And, and if we don't start with that question of why, if we don't really think about what it means that we can give, then I think we'll miss the beauty of, of generosity and, and what it really means to follow Jesus in that. So as we talk about why we should give, I'm going to give you three really simple points. Um, and, and a lot of this is really intuitive. I, I know my audience I'm speaking to, you guys probably could be up here and, and say this better than me. Um, but it's, it's really that simple. And the first is that God owns everything. The second is that God is the author of generosity. And the third is that he has invited us to participate in this divine story of generosity. Uh, if you have a Bible with you or if you have a Bible on your phone, turn with me to First Chronicles 29, 14 through 16. In the context here, the Israelites are in Jerusalem and David's getting ready to build the temple and he knows that Solomon will complete it, but he's, he's getting the work ready. And, and this is what David says in his prayer to the Lord. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. All this abundance that we have, provided for your temple, for your holy name, comes from your hand. All of it belongs to you. Now, many of you know this intuitively, but we have to start here, and it has to inform our thinking as we think about generosity. It's something our hearts don't naturally grasp. Our first instinct is to think of, of what is mine. What, what have I been given that I have control over? What have I received that, that belongs to me? That's our natural instinct. Uh, a lot of you have probably seen the movie Fight Club, and, and this is kind of a cliche quote, um, but I think, it, I think it really kind of grabs what our hearts are living for. Um, in the book, yes, it was a book, I was surprised too. Uh, Chuck Palahniuk, the author, says it this way. You buy furniture. You tell yourself, this is the last sofa I will ever need in my life. Buy the sofa. Then for a couple years, you're satisfied that no matter what goes wrong, at least you've got your sofa issue handled. Then the right set of dishes, then the perfect bed, the drapes, the rug. But then you're trapped in your lovely nest. And the things you used to own... Now they own you. And when we start with this foundation that that everything we have, everything we've been given belongs to God, we move out of that that egocentric, that that mind mentality, that these things that I have are mine for me, and and we can move into freedom and and into giving. And we have to move out of that mind mentality. We have to understand that, that all that we have has been given to us by God and that we're merely stewards 
We're stewards of the time we've been given, the talents, the resources, the influence, the treasure, the money. Second, God is the author of generosity. And we see this most clearly in creation of the universe um, and in the coming of Jesus as well. Our very existence is a gift, right? God created us out of nothing. He didn't need us, but he gave us life. He gave us breath. His very nature is to give. And when we turned away, uh, when, when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled, he could have ended it. Uh, but what did he do? He, he gave us an even greater gift than Jesus, right? And I, I know th- this is John 3.16. You guys know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And I know these are Sunday school answers. It's stuff we've heard a million times. But I, I want it to realign and challenge us to hear the beauty of generosity in the gospel narrative. That, that God authored generosity, that he created generously. So meditate on that fact that we serve a God whose essence is to give and to give freely. Third, we're invited to participate in the story of divine generosity. We're not just merely recipients, but we're actually invited to participate. And this is 1 John 3, 16 through 17. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? What I'm about to say is straight out of Dr. Capic's book. I don't know if he's here today. He didn't pay me to advertise. Um, That would be generous of him if he wants to. Uh, But it's a great book. He wrote it with uh, Justin Borger, who graduated um, from here as well. And they talk about this concept in this verse that, that John moves from this lofty, this is how we know what love is, this concept of love, to the person of Jesus and him laying down his life as a sacrifice and then moving into what it means for us to lay down our lives. But the beauty of it is that he doesn't stop with this concept of laying down our life, which is somewhat abstract. But the very next verse, he moves into to our material possessions and says, if, if you see a brother in need and you're not generous with what you have, how can the love of God be in you? And Dr. Kaplick, in his book, they, he also says that God chose to reclaim all by giving all away. And I love that. That's the story we've been invited to. And one way we're invited in, into this cosmic story of redemption is through giving. Um, and it's the grandest display of love we've, that the universe has ever seen, right? That, that Jesus was given for our sins and that through that we are able to give to each other. I, I pray this morning and, and really as this conversation gets started here on campus that, that the Holy Spirit visits you in a way that that excites your heart, that that's new and fresh. Because I know these are things that we've heard before. This invitation is for us to, to freely give of, of everything, um, and that truly means everything. And I mentioned it before. One way to think of that is, is kind of broken into our time, time we've been given here on earth, our talents, our skills, our resources, our influence, our money. Um, and because money is certainly a part of that, I, I want to interject something about tithing very quickly because that, that's often what's brought up in this conversation. And if, if I, anything I'm about to say is offensive or you disagree, um, you can reach me at tim.mela at covenant.edu. <laughs> Uh, he's fielding all my questions this afternoon. But I, I think there's been some damage done for our generation and, and those of you that have grown up in the church, grown up in the PCA or uh, the Baptist church, that 
from a very young age, if you had parents like mine that were faithful, you know, we were taught that when you are given a dollar, that some of that goes into the offering plate. And, you know, as you get older and you get a job during the summer, that, you know, 10% needs to go to the church. But conditionally, what, what's happened to our generation is that we've given that 10% and that 90%, that's ours. That's mine to do what I want. I've done my duty. I've given my 10%. That 90% is mine. And in this kind of middle, upper-class Christian economy that, that we live in, we think that, that our job's done, that we've been generous. And if we're honest, the stats don't back us up. Christians right now in America are giving 2.4%. We're not even getting, giving 10%. So if, if we really believe, like David did in First Chronicles, when he says that all we have is yours, all of this abundance in your, is yours, then then why would we think that after giving 10%, we're done? You know, if, if I brought somebody up here and, and, and gave you something to manage for me and said, take care of this, you wouldn't turn around and say, well, here's your 10%. I mean, that, that would be crazy. Now, I'm not saying tithing's wrong. And I know Tim's going to get a lot of emails for this. I, I think it's a great place to start. I think it's a great place to encourage a faithful habit and I believe that we should be giving to the church because that, that's the means of the kingdom being ushered in. And we should support the family of faith first. I believe that. But I want our generation specifically to, to get the bigger picture that we have to move from treating this like a numbers game. Move from treating it like it's based on a percentage rather than a person. Our, our giving needs to be based on the personhood of Jesus, not on figuring out how much is enough. If everything that he's given to us belongs to him, then we're merely stewards and managers of it all. I think it's important uh, to not just stand up here and talk about the, the theoretical, kind of the high concepts, but, but to also give you very practical how. And I, I truly want this to be the start of a conversation for how you can be generous right now as a college student, how you can start living faithfully now like I mentioned earlier, that this isn't just something for the wealthy, for, for people that have jobs and make a lot of money. Louis Giglio, who a lot of you know through the Passion Conferences and preaching in Atlanta, says it this way. He says, our giving is not proportional to our earning. It's proportional to our understanding of the grace of Jesus. And so the call today is not to wait until you get out of college and have a job to start living generously. You have that freedom now, and it truly is freedom so how do you live generously now? Um, I'm so glad you guys asked me right at this point in my talk. It's perfect. <laughs> you can help someone with their luggage at the airport. You can pay for a cup of coffee for the person behind you at Starbucks. You can leave a 100% tip on your next dinner check. You can donate blood. Give a tip to somebody who doesn't usually receive it. Carry $20 and give it to a stranger. Pay for uh, groceries for someone in the store. If you walk into a grocery store and ask the Lord, show me someone to pay for their groceries, he's going to show you. I'm serious. <laughs> Drive people around who don't have transportation but may need it. Get a group of friends together and all put mon money together to give to one person or a couple or a group. Pick up trash on the side of the road. Pay for someone else's meal at a restaurant without them knowing it. Support a missionary you know monthly. Take your friends out to eat. When you live off campus, host people for dinner. Pay for the person behind you to drive through. Pick up someone's gas at the pump. Instead of going out to eat on a Saturday, give that money to the church Sunday morning. Encourage someone with a note or actual words of affirmation of their face. 
give your professors a gift to say thank you. Are there any professors in here? You're welcome. <laughs> Go do yard work for free on the mountain. Volunteer at your church. Spend time with the elderly. Listen to their stories. Love on them. Stop for the person you see broken down on the highway. Listen to a hurting friend. And I, I don't want to get lost in the point of all these things isn't just to help someone. If, if that's the only aim of our generosity, then that's charity. But generosity is, is so much bigger than that. <clears throat> and I know some of the objections you're having in your mind, and, and I agree with some of these, that it's of utmost importance that our giving does not do harm. Um, I was a community development major. I know when helping hurts. I get that. Um, I used to work for an organization called Giving Wisely. But I'm tired of seeing our generation treat generosity like it's, it's only to help those in need and that it's not this bigger picture of living with everything we have with our hands open. That's certainly a piece of it, helping people. That's certainly a piece of what your giving can be. But what if generosity was as much about you and your heart? What if, what if our giving every day, being faithful to it and giving freely is, is prying our fingers off of what we think we own so that we go from thinking that this is all mine to living with our hands open? I'm also very certain that you heard how many of those things in the list involved money. And I know that you guys don't have a lot of money. I get that. It's hard to believe. I I don't have a lot, even though I have a job. It it doesn't necessarily get that much better when you get out of college. But I think our generation is is so good at giving our time and our talent. You know, if, if I said, hey, who wants to go volunteer at the soup kitchen today? I could probably get 100 of you to go. But if we start talking about giving our, our finances, we immediately shut off. I think we, we almost live as if, well, I've given my time and my talent. I don't have anything to give financially. And generosity is exciting and freeing, but it doesn't mean it won't involve sacrifice, real sacrifice. And for some of you, giving up the little money you have will likely mean a bigger sacrifice than, than somebody worth $100 million giving a couple million away. And, and I, I really believe that. I, I don't say that tritely. But don't get lost in a numbers game again. Don't, don't make this about a transaction or about a percentage. Don't make it about anything other than Jesus. John Piper, it's a pastor you may have heard of, says the question is not how much do I give, but how much do I dare keep for myself? And please hear me when I say that. I'm, I'm trying to tread lightly because I know this is sensitive, but I, I really believe that the joy of giving is found in these sacrifices. That when you decide, instead of trying to, to gain everything for yourself by, by keeping it, you gain it by giving it away. And that's the beauty, isn't that the beauty of Jesus' words in Mark 10 when he's talking to the rich young ruler? What does he say to him? Go sell all that you have and give to the poor. Now, I was struck as I was preparing for this reading that, and, and it hit me kind of for the first time that Jesus didn't tell him that because he was raising money to go help the poor. Jesus wasn't fundraising at that time. He didn't need that money. God doesn't want our money. He wants our hearts. And he knew, just like the rich young ruler, that our hearts are chained to our desire for wealth and treasure in this world. And I'm pleading with you this morning to not buy into that lie. That lie that your heart tells you that, that wants more. Because it will not satisfy you and it won't end. And I know you know that. I know you do. There was a study done a few years ago by The Atlantic. 
where they interviewed people that were worth 25 million or more. Um, the average net worth of the, the people in this survey was $78 million, with two of them being billionaires. And they asked them what their biggest fears were. They asked them they could be honest. So what are, what are things you feel like you still need? You know what every single one of them said they needed? At least 25% more of their wealth to feel secure. 25% more. Somebody worth 78 million saying, I, I need an, at least 20 more million until I feel like I'm finally set. It doesn't stop. Our hearts will not be satisfied by the things of this world. And they'll forever bind themselves to that lie that the more we get will finally satisfy it unless we ask the Holy Spirit now to come work in our hearts to, to break those chains free. <clears throat> I've given you some examples. Um, I want to tell you some stories. I, I really believe that our generation is inspired by stories. Um, I believe that if, if we start to hear how others are, are generous, that we'll be encouraged um, and, and realize that it, it doesn't have to be that difficult. So these stories are actually from Covenant students. Um, most of them have graduated, but you guys would know all of them. It's been in the last couple of years. Um, but I want to encourage you as, as you process through this, as you talk, that part of generosity taking our, our generation and, and stunning the world is going to be that you tell your stories and I know that can be awkward talking about yourself and what you've done and what you've given, but don't stop. Tell your stories and encourage others. Um, my wife and I are in a small group in Atlanta, mostly 20-somethings, um, a few married couples, and one of the couples in our group, the wife had just had a baby, and she's from Italy. Um, she hadn't seen her family in probably two and a half, three years. And so she came to small group, their newborn just in tears one night, just said, I, I want to see my family. I want them to meet their granddaughter and their niece, but we just can't afford it. We can't afford to go over there. It's too expensive. So after we met, a couple guys got together and they said, you know, between a couple of us, we could probably put together enough money to send her over there. So we said, all right, well, let's, let's get together 1500 bucks. That, that should cover it. We ended up giving her $2,400 because everybody in the group rallied and said, we want to be a part of this. And she got to go over there for a month to be with her family. And that was awesome. That was cool. One of the coolest pieces of the story was that there's a guy in our group, single guy, works for a nonprofit, doesn't make a lot of money, um, pretty much living paycheck to paycheck. And as he was thinking through and wrestling with this, he said, Lord, I, I know I want to give, I want to support this, but I, how? How can I? I've got bills, I've got rent. And he said that week, inexplicably, for no reason, his rent check returned. So he called his landlord and the landlord said, no, we don't need rent this month. You, you can keep it. So he gave his rent check to that couple. Another one of my friends had the idea of, of doing a 40 days of giving just to challenge himself. He wanted to challenge himself to be more faithful in his giving. So for 40 days, he said, I'm going to give something different each day. I'm going to ask the Lord to show me how much, where, who. He said, you know, initially he started out, he was given to IJM, World Vision, you know, compassion, kind of hitting the ones that we would all think of. But then those kind of started to peter out. So he, he really had to start asking the Lord, you, you've got to show me what I can give. And the Lord really started to challenge him. He said he was walking down in an airport, and he saw a guy standing at a vending machine. He said he was overcome with a sense of, I need to go buy that guy's snack. He said, nah. So he kept walking. 
But he said he just kept feeling this sense of, no, you need to go buy that guy's snack. So he said he walked over and feeling crazy, looking crazy, told the guy, I feel like I, here's two bucks, maybe get another candy bar. I don't know. And of course, the guy thought he was crazy. There was another time he, he was at a restaurant with his boss's kids and kind of brought them in on it, told him what he was doing. He said, all right, our giving today, the 10th person that walks through this door at this restaurant, we're going to buy their lunch. I don't care if it's a single guy or a whole baseball team. We're going to buy their lunch. Hopefully it's a single guy, right? <laughs> so the kids got excited and they're counting together, you know, okay, that's the eighth person, it's the ninth person. The 10th person walked in and they all jumped up and cheered. Um, I th- person probably ran out, I don't know. <laughs> but what's amazing, and, and as he talked about this, was not that his giving did all this good. You know, it certainly did. But these are his words when he was talking about it. He said, the 40 days of giving turned into a 40 days of listening and obedience. He had to wait for the Lord to show him and at times it was something, as, for us, as seemingly stupid as giving to a guy at a vending machine. But the point of it that he started to realize was not that he was giving these great amounts, but that he was living faithfully and freely. And his heart was truly free. Another friend of mine, uh, he and his wife graduated from here in 2008. And uh, they've been married for a couple years and don't have any kids. He said that uh, he was challenged one day as he was reading um, in the Old Testament about how the Israelites were, were giving their best for the offerings. They were told to give the, you know, their best cattle, their best grain. And as he and his wife were kind of considering their family, they decided to adopt. And he said he, he viewed that adoption as him giving his firstborn son that they could have to the Lord. And instead of having that child that they're going to adopt. Um, when he told me that, I thought... I don't, I don't even understand that. I don't know if I can share that at Covenant. I don't even understand that kind of generosity. Another one of my teammates from Covenant told me recently that while he was here as a sophomore, he started supporting a child through World Vision monthly. And these are his words. I always thought I would do something like this when I had a steady stream of income. But I realized I didn't have to wait until I got a job. It was only $30 a month, and I could cover that by not going out to eat so much. And he went out to eat a lot. Another friend has her own photography company, and, and she and her husband live in a low-income neighborhood. He works for a nonprofit, and they, they had somebody come through the organization, got their GED, and the couple got married. And so she offered, as a photographer and, and having her own business, to do their wedding pictures for free. And she realized in the process that a lot of people in their neighborhood don't have good pictures of themselves. It's just not a luxury that they can afford to have. And so she was not only able to provide this service at their wedding, but she, she helped give them a, a little piece of dignity by giving of her talent. Um, another friend of mine who, who also lives and works in a, in a very low-income neighborhood, and uh, he and his wife bought a house in that neighborhood to live with the people that are there and, and started a small group. One of the women in their small group who lives in the neighborhood is a, a 50-year-old woman who's been addicted to crack most of her life, loves Jesus with all of her heart, um, but just has had the hardest time kicking her addiction. And since he had just moved into the neighborhood, he said, you know, this weekend we're going to do some, some work, so if, if anyone can come help us paint, you know, feel free to show up. So Saturday rolled around, two people showed up, and one of them was this 50-year-old woman. And as they were painting, she revealed to him that she had worked 
for a painting company most of her life. And he said it showed. I mean, she painted everybody under the rug. I mean, she just tore it up. So he said at the end of the day, he, he was really torn and thinking, you know, maybe I should pay her. She worked really hard. I know she could use it. I mean, she's on the verge of living in abject poverty all the time. But he decided not to. And later that week at small group, she opened up and, and said, you know, this week, this past week, I, I was in my house. I was depressed, locked myself in, didn't want to get out of bed, didn't feel any worth, didn't feel like I had anything to, to offer. But then I heard that he needed help painting his house. And I realized that I had gifts and skills that I could offer him and be a blessing to him. And I, I love, as my friend told that story, you know, that, that's somebody we usually think of giving to. And, and here he was having her give to him. And he said, what would it look like for us to empower the poor so that they can live generously? Lastly, I want to tell you about my friend Caleb, um, who's from Uganda. And some of you have heard me speak about him before. Some of you may have met him. He was here a couple weeks ago. He had a chance to come visit. But he grew up on the streets in Uganda. Um, his family threw him out of the house when he was seven to live on his own. Um, and he lived in the streets, cold, hungry, um, filled with crime, drugs, sniffed glue daily to try and escape. A lot of the kids were sexually abused. Just an awful, awful place to be. And he was taken into an organization where he was discipled, mentored, cared for um, up, in, up until college. And when he got to college, he got into his dorm room and realized that it was plenty of space. So he started going out into the streets and bringing kids into his dorm room, um, which I'm not encouraging necessarily. Uh, some legal issues here that I think you could run into. But as the college found out about it, they kicked him out. And they said, you can't live here and do that. That's, that's not what we're doing here. So he just went down the street and started renting at a hostel, brought three or four more kids. And when the hostel realized what he was doing, they kicked him out. So he went across town. This happened several times, and he started kind of building a reputation until he started working for an organization. That's where my path crossed with him about seven years ago, where organizations started building these homes in the city where kids could be brought in as a family, given a mentor that would live with them and, and basically help them recover. Now he runs his own nonprofit um, that, that does very similar work where he has several homes bringing kids in off the street. Um, he has 150 kids in these homes right now that he's mentoring, discipling, loving on. And these houses that he has, they're completely full to capacity. Um, there's literally no more space for kids to be brought in. So he's started to bring kids into his own home with his wife and his two kids. They have 11 kids, actually 13 kids there now. Um, when he was here, he came to, down to breakfast one morning laughing and said, my wife just emailed me that two girls got dropped off at our gate that are HIV positive. And she said, what do we do? And he kind of laughed. He was like, you take them in, of course. We were, What? <laughs> What I love, when, when, when my friend Caleb talks about this stuff, he doesn't talk about his job. He doesn't talk about his organization. He talks about this being his life. And these are the words that he shared with, with Marshall and I when we were in Uganda. He said, when I die, I want to be completely spent. Every muscle, ligament, fiber in my body spent. I don't want there to be anything left so that I completely collapse in Jesus' arms. I want people to lower my body into the ground and say he had nothing left to give. There was nothing left in him to give. 
And friends, I don't, I don't tell these stories to manipulate your emotion or to try and guilt you or shame you into giving. I want to inspire you. I want to encourage you that, that this calling is for us now. That all that you've been given and entrusted with, that you can live generously now. And I want to fuel that desire in you to, to give freely and to stun the world so that when, when people see us, they say, who are these people and why are they living this way? Just like the Macedonian church did that Paul wrote to And when they ask that, we have the chance to share with them the beauty of our Savior and the gift that was given for us. So I I really believe the only way for our generation to get this is if we start living it. So go, live generously, tell your stories, and be encouraged. And we're also, we're going to have a lunch uh, right after we got 15 spots. Um, and Carter 131, just to kind of brainstorm and, and, and really start to ask, what does this look like at Covenant? Because um, I, I want to hear from you guys, and, and I, I want to think through what it might look like for this campus to stun the world. So be encouraged and experience the freedom that comes from following a generous king. Thank you. You're dismissed.